Who's that person? It's Toad. He's cool. Really? <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> he was a Toad. I did a spell, turned him into a human-ish type thing. So, uh, yeah, I flipped it. <gasps> That's very good. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this was another good episode with some issues. Okay, it was a good episode. I did actually enjoy the episode itself in a vacuum. And that ending. Oh, the ending is great. Oh my god, I'm so excited for next week now. I mean, theoretically could watch it right now, but we like to record in between so that we are actually getting it new. Yeah, so you're getting the freshest of takes on this. Yes, the freshest of takes from this show that ended six months ago. Yes. Okay, I did have some issues, though. Uh, yes, because this is Tiana's episode. This is episode five of season seven, Greenbacks. Ugh. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> I'm not super into that title. I mean, it's supposed to be like a double meaning because it means both the money that is an issue in this episode and also frogs, but... Isn't there like a, I feel like there's a sketch on the internet, I think College Humor did, words that sound racist but aren't. Yeah, that's definitely words that sound racist but aren't. Okay, so I'm going to have so many issues with what they did with the Tiana storyline. And before we do that, can we just briefly touch on the princess and the frog? All right. So the princess and the frog had a really troubled production not because of anything particularly that went wrong with it. This isn't a, uh, oh god, good dinosaur. This isn't a good dinosaur situation. I was going to say that Jack and the Beanstalk project that got canceled, which I am still mad about because that looked really cool. It was going to take place in Spain. That project for you is going to be what for what for me is Lois Lane, girl reporter. It was a proposed all ages comic with like a preteen Lois Lane doing like Harriet the Spy shit and it never came about and that makes me so sad and I still think about that like a decade later about how that was never made it's just they were making the movie they were making it and then they stopped because I, I get it they they were like you know what we're just gonna stop this production instead of making a bad product which mm-hmm. I'm like okay fine but it seems weird that we haven't got like Jack and the Beanstalk is one of your Ur fairy tales. It's one of the iconic Western canon fairy tales. Up there with Cinderella and Snow White. And yet there has never been a good adaptation of it. Arguably Into the Woods, but that's like a fifth of what Into the Woods is. Okay, okay. But anyway, uh, the troubled production Princess and the Frog went to was different because this was Disney's first black princess. As I'm sure you are all aware. Disney, a company not overly renowned for racial sensitivity yeah yeah and so let's talk about the awkward things about the princess and the frog you mean the fact that she spends most of the movie as a frog and honest to god it's mostly naveen's story yeah that's awkward i you know what i'm okay with it being mostly naveen's story because that's not um that just seems like a Disney oversight, and it doesn't feel as racially charged. 
Are you talking about the fact that they got Randy Newman to do the songs? I wasn't going to talk about that, but hey, let's put it out there. They're not bad. It's just, it doesn't have a good standout song. Friends, uh, well, Friends from the Other Side. Yeah, Friends from the Other Side is is a good song. God, I could listen to Keith David talk all day. It doesn't matter about what. No, but the issues I have with Princess and the Frog are you have Disney's first black princess and she spends the majority of the movie as a frog. Not cool. And you have a princess who has to bow to these, like, respectability politics where instead of just being allowed to dream, she has to work hard for her business, which is fine. That's a fine lesson in a vacuum. But, you know, in the history of princesses, it's a little awkward. Yeah, it is a little weird that this is the one Disney princess where her... I I mean, I guess her problem is that she's working too hard and not dreaming enough. Or, I don't know. The Princess and the Frog doesn't have really a consistent enough moral, I think. Because in the end, it's not her hard work that gets her what she wants. It's having a crocodile friend who can threaten racist people who are in power. I mean, that's... We all wish we had that, right? Yeah. But I don't want to get into the history of the Princess and the Frog. And I definitely don't want to be tearing down Tiana, who's an awesome princess in the pantheon of princesses. Anika Nani Rose needs to be in more stuff. She does such a good job. She was legitimately good. She is legitimately the one good part of From Justin to Kelly. (laughs) It's like she's in a different, better movie. That's so weird that, like, your mind goes to the American Idol cash-in movie that's amazing my point is i don't want anyone to misinterpret this and think that we're down on tiana in fact we want tiana to have a better movie around her Mm. and we have to say all this up front so that when we're talking about what they did to tiana in this show you have the context for it it's a weird take on tiana now i don't feel like i have to say this to our listeners but just in case i do i don't want to make too many assumptions The Princess and the Frog takes place in New Orleans. The Princess and the Frog very specifically takes place in New Orleans. It is a New Orleans set story. And that was actually one of the great ideas for the Princess and the Frog. Because the crews in New Orleans that run the floats and participate in the Mardi Gras parade and throw the balls Mm -hmm. have a racially troubled past. Mm. So it was actually a perfect way to do it. If they'd done a better movie around it. And I put this on Twitter after we watched this episode, but it occurs to me that New Orleans is basically, as far as American cities go, the opposite of Seattle. Hmm. I feel like one of the main problems with the Princess and the Frog movie was it was Disney like, Disney going like, we're going to make a movie about black people we don't want it to be racist but also we don't want to hire more black people to work on this movie so it's a movie that's created by white people who are trying to not be offensive without actually getting more you know cultural context for the things they're writing about that is probably definitely a part of it i also feel like it's cool that it's a new orleans set story but i feel like the reason for setting it in new orleans is because first of all there are balls there So you can have your traditional princess balls, but also it's a modern setting 
relatively modern, so you don't have to deal with people who are like, oh, this isn't historical. Didn't you know? Black people were only invented in the 1940s. Jesus fucking I know. Christ. People are terrible. There's a literal goddamn Shakespeare play about a black dude. Yes, but I want to bring that back around to what this TV show is doing with the princess and the frog. Because, spoiler for like 10 minutes from now when we're talking about it, Tiana's story does not take place in New Orleans or fake New Orleans fairy tale land. It takes place in fake medieval land, which actually seems to be more like fake Victorian land. It feels like they definitely updated fake medieval land in oh, this yeah. season. Yeah, because they'd, they'd have to with Cinderella and all. It's not a medieval story. Sure. So her story takes place in fake Victorian fairy tale land, which is fine because then, uh, because I actually appreciate that they were like, this is a multi-ethnic world. It make We have no issues with there being a black princess. Audience is just going to accept that and we're all going to move forward. Except that she's supposed to be Tiana. And her story very specifically takes place in New Orleans. And it's like, it's like they did a thing that irritated me in the Disney movie. And then I'm not happy that they just ignore it in Once Upon a Time. That's just making me remember that I was irritated by it and irritated that you don't acknowledge it. This whole thing goes into kind of a weird area because uh, while I get that, uh, the, the solution we came up with when we were watching it was that they could have a fairy tale land that is based on New Orleans. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to call total bullshit on this because you know who we had a couple of seasons ago? Who? Cruella DeVille. Mm. They didn't try to fit Cruella DeVille into fake medieval land. They made fake 1920s England for her. Well, I I'm saying I, I thought more of what we were talking about was a, not medieval per se, but a fantasy land that was more New Orleans, but in a high fantasy setting, a high fantasy take on New Orleans. Right, sort of like something from the Land of Lost Stories. Or, spoiler alert for my recommendation for this episode, the city we go to at the end of Witches Abroad. Yes, absolutely. Any of those would have been good choices. Instead, I have, like, Irritationception, where I'm irritated by Disney's original choice, and I'm irritated by you not acknowledging it or trying to adapt to it. That all aside... I really did enjoy this episode. Yes. As a reminder, Henry grew closer to Ivy last episode, Ivy being the wicked stepsister. Uh, the two of them bonded over how much Victoria sucks and how much Victor how much pressure Victoria is putting on Ivy. And Tiana's kind of a character, but not really. Well, she is, she's going to be now. Yes. Tiana, who in Hyperion Heights is Sabine. Someone finally says her name this episode. It's weird that we got five episodes without anyone saying her Hyperion Heights name out loud until this episode. But Sabine is Jacinda's best friend slash roommate. Also, uh, Victoria Belfry is keeping a woman we're all assuming is Mother Gothel in a tower. Yeah, they flipped it. Yes. Assuming she is Mother Gothel. Yes. Assuming she's not actually, I don't know, Lightning McQueen. Oh, man, wait till we talk about that. So this episode opens with Victoria bringing tea to, we'll just call her Mother Gothel. Yeah, for, for convenience sake, we're going to be calling her Mother Gothel. Yes, to Mother Gothel in the tower. And Mother Gothel reminds her and us that everything that she's doing right now is for the purpose of making Jacinda lose her faith. 
because Jacinda losing her faith is essential to Victoria's goal of bringing back to life Anastasia, the good wicked stepdaughter. Wait, I thought it was Lucy losing her faith. Oh, you know what? We talked about this last week. They didn't actually say which one. They just kept saying the girl. And we talked about how they were purposefully being vague as to whether the girl was Jacinda or Lucy. In my head, I must have been assuming it was Jacinda and moved on from there. And I guess in your head, you were assuming it was Lucy. Yeah. uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, whichever girl. Yes. Woman in Jacinda's case. But it's the thing that really bothers me. Like when people call full grown men boy, it weirds me out. Same thing applies to full-grown women being referred to as girl. I normally 100% agree with you on this. Definitely going to make an exception here for Jacinda's stepmother. Yeah. She can call her girl forever because she's a parental role. An evil parental role. Evil parents are still parents, Max. Hey, happy Mother's Day to all of the evil mothers out there. So, Mother Gothel is talking to Victoria Belfry about how, hey... I don't want your shitty ass tea. And also, Jesus fucking Christ, lady, you can't just be like, fairy tales don't exist and expect to get results. Belief runs deep. Belief has roots that go deep under the ground. And first you must remove the roots to kill the tree that is hope, the hope tree. Also, get me some better fucking tea. Yeah. Yeah. Mother Gothel, like... Really trashes Victoria's tea. Yes, apparently there is a special kind of tea with special herbs that she wants. Yeah, that's always good. That's always good when the evil witch that you're keeping imprisoned in a tower wants a specific kind of herbs. That always ends well. We go from that to Lucy uh, sitting in the lobby of Belfry Tower. Tower. And, uh... She she asks uh, she asks Ivy what Ivy's doing and Ivy's on her phone. Ivy's like, I'm looking for an annoyed babysitter emoji. Okay, I already kind of liked her, but at this moment I realized Ivy is my favorite evil character. Ivy is great. I I love Ivy the way we love Regina, which made me realize Ivy is the Regina and Victoria is the Cora. Yeah. Which is good because I was starting to feel concerned that we're five episodes in and I don't love Victoria as much as I loved Regina. But it's okay. It's Ivy I'm supposed to love. Actually, I really like what the events of this episode do to Victoria because throughout through the course of this episode, we kind of find out that Victoria isn't the mastermind in control of things that she you know thinks she is yeah there she's actually this incredibly desperate person who is scrambling to stay ahead of everyone else yeah she has all the bad regina traits which honestly i really like i feel like one of the big flaws of once upon a time is the invincible villain invincible villain is one of my least favorite tropes it makes me genuinely uncomfortable to watch shows that have an invincible villain and it's one of the reasons that I resisted seeing Endgame until we finally did go see Endgame and then it was fine. I enjoyed it. But I don't like stories that have an invincible villain, both because it makes me very uncomfortable to see our heroes unable to win. And any win that they get inevitably feels like a cheat because you spent all season or all movie telling me that they can't be defeated. Also, it makes it, I know we go back to this so much, but 
what it's the problem with glory in season five of buffy why she didn't just break into buffy's house and like tear her friends apart until she found out which one was the key something she very easily could have done well and honestly the resolution to defeating glory other than the big resolution where buffy had to die which don't get me started on that it's summer's blood don't 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 get me started i love that the show actually poked fun of that in season seven Season seven is the best season of Buffy. But anyway, I don't like when they came up with their big plan where they're like, oh, we just need to get more weapons. We just need a troll hammer and a robot. And what else did they have? They had other things. The Orb of Thessala. Sure. You've told us that she's all powerful, except for this troll hammer that Anya apparently created. Apparently, Anya has the ability to curse someone into being a god. Just well, we talked about this. Remember, we thought Olaf started off as a regular troll and then eventually earned his way into troll godhood through years of being a very good troll, I suppose. Yeah, but that's us giving the show the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I just. I don't like Glory, and I don't like the Glory plotline, don't like Invincible Villains, I love Ivy. It's so funny because that that is genu- uh, genuinely what I really like about the end of season five, how it's they're taking all of these little things that came up incidentally throughout the season in mostly Monster of the Week episodes and use them against Glory. So I don't mind that plot in general. In fact, there's a Farscape plot where they do that, where they take a bunch of Monster of the Weeks that they've had and put them all together to come up with a heist plan. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing episode. I can't wait to show it to you. But in that case, it's a heist. It's a heavily secured facility, but it's not a person who we've been told over and over cannot be beaten. Yeah. In fact, that's what bothers me about the unbeatable villain trope, because I like it when our characters come up with clever things that I wouldn't have thought of but make perfect sense in retrospect. And an unbeatable villain forestalls that. Honestly, this is this is a headcanon, but I feel like you could play with it a lot. If they had tied Glory using her Hell God powers to her reverting to Ben more, I feel like that would have worked better. Yes. Honestly... All of the nonsense that happened before, if the ending had been the end where Glory turns into Ben and Giles kills Ben, has to kill the innocent human, like, if that had been the thrust of the story instead of what's really, honestly, kind of a powerful but still throwaway scene, that would have made for a better ending to season five. Yeah, they just needed to get Glory to expend enough of her power to revert to the easily more easily stoppable ben i wonder if they had not been thinking about being canceled and thus having a definitive end to the series if they might not have ended it with buffy being forced to kill ben and then dealt with the fallout of that in season six with buffy having killed an innocent mortal although honest to god she kills so many of the knights of byzantine in the last couple episodes Look, like, <laughs> once you put on, once you start following a demon and put on a cloak, you are fair game. They weren't following a demon, though. Remember, they were an order of knights who were opposed to glory. Oh, yeah, that's true. They were, for all intents and purposes, the knights of Byzantine were the good guys in that season. 
Yeah, that's true. Buffy should be a little more shaken up about that. But she was in she. But yeah, but she, she was she was defending Dawn, which is generally her "I will kill humans" button. Oh, I was gonna say she was dead, so she had other things to worry about. Honest to God, I really do think that the end of season five is like the pitch perfect place to end Buffy. Well, I think it's fair that we keep coming back to the end of season five, since it was such a good, perfect ending, and then we came back for two more seasons yeah because that's what we're doing right now right we had a really great ending and now we're coming back to yet another season but i will say unlike scrubs i feel like this show is earning its bonus season yes speaking of sabine shows up to pick up lucy from uh the office well not to pick her up because remember sabine and jacinda are not taking care of Lucy anymore, but she just wanted to deliver a present to Lucy, which is a bag full of beignets. Don't you have to eat beignets when they're hot? Yeah, ideally you want to eat them right out of the fryer. They're not going to be good an hour later, which is when they must have been made. Also, she's on her way to dance class. Why are you giving her deep fried dough right before she goes to dance class? I guess she's only like 10, so her dance isn't that intensive, but still. You had to pay $550 to see that girl dance. That's true, they did. Also, beignets. Sabine's thing is beignets. A New Orleans food a quintessentially new orleans food despite the fact that as i previously stated they have excised all of new orleans from this character i just it's it's just annoying it's annoying so victoria comes in very pointedly ignores sabine and lucy to walk right over to ivy and be like hey i need you to pick up these special herbs for a special tea i'm i'm doing and Ivy's like, are you, are, are you doing a cleanse? Should we be doing this together? And Victoria's like, shut up. Get my fucking tea ingredients. I feel like it is quite a character moment for Ivy to say, are you doing a cleanse without me? <laughs> but no, Victoria reminds Ivy that their relationship is Victoria is the boss and Ivy is the assistant. So... Although they are mother and daughter. Although they are mother and daughter. When, when you are at work, I am not your mother. I am your boss. Don't work for your family. Mm. Having sent Ivy away, Victoria decides it's time to turn on Sabine and let her know that because this neighborhood is so up and coming, she's going to raise her rent. Mm. Yeah. She's going to raise her rent so much that basically they won't be able to pay it anymore and push her out. The heart and soul of gentrification. Mm. And Sabine's like, you're trying to push us out. And Victoria's like, no, rents are going up everywhere. I'm only raising your rent by X instead of by xx so actually i'm being nice here she says she's giving them the family discount i will say she's raising their rent by eight percent and says that with rents in the neighborhood she could essentially double it i guess i just want to advocate for rent control yes it's a good thing so we cut to fairy tale land where tiana and her mom are having an estate sale isn't an estate sale? Her dad died a while ago, right? It's basically just a yard sale. I guess that's true. But it's a yard sale in a rose garden, so it's a rose garden sale. Because unlike the princess and the frog, Tiana and her mother are wealthy. In fact, Tiana is a prince. 
princess? Yes, Tiana is a princess. But they have to raise money because the king is raising their rents. Their king who is not related to them. She's a princess in this land, but there's also like a higher up king who is charging her rent to live there. Okay, this is really weird because it's already fake Victorian land. So it would have made much more sense for her and her mother to be property holders who could not afford to pay rent. Mm Mm-hmm. Instead of just calling her a princess, which the show, for whatever reason, could not resist doing. Yeah. This, also, this scene has this weird thing, because Ivy is there, Drusilla, and Drusilla's like, ooh, this is fancy, I think I'm going to buy it. And Tiana says, Tiana shames her for being nouveau riche. Yeah. And Ivy's like, well, at least I'm still riche, which... Yeah, but it, yeah, Tiana and her mom are land poor. It's really weird. It's really weird to have Tiana being the person who's shaming someone for being nouveau riche. That's a weird dynamic to have here. I mean, you're right that it's weird, but I think we all get the feeling that the show just wanted us to know that Tiana and Drizella already don't like each other. It's just got this element of classism I'm... Not a huge fan of. Well, that's the thing, right? Why Why is Tiana invested in classism? Especially considering what we find out about her dad later in the episode. This is such a bizarre slam for her. Yeah, this is what's so weird, too. It's like they had no interest in making Tiana's story fit into the world that they're building. They just dropped a woman named Tiana into a random story and were like, let's go with that. As far as Disney princesses go, Tiana is one of the ones that has a genuinely fairly well-defined personality and character traits because there are a lot of Disney princesses that just sort of have vague personalities. She's one of the non-manic pixie dream girl princesses. Mm, Yes, emphatically so and she's not which is like funny because given the story of the which is funny because given the original fairy tale you would think she would be the most manic pixie-ish anyway so drusilla and uh, drusella 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 and tiana are smack talking each other for respectively being nouveau riche and having no taste and being poor even though you have a title and also haha your dad's dead Another another thing where it's weird for Drizella to be trashing Tiana for having a dead father. Yeah, I mean, you're zero for two in the dad realm currently. Drizella also finds a medal sitting out and she wants it, which is weird because why? And Tiana says, oh, wait, no, that's not for sale. That's my dad's medal of honor or whatever. It's a medal of honor, but with a slightly different name because medal of honor is an actual thing and people will get pissed if you claim things that aren't medal of honor are medals of honor. So Tiana's mom pulls her to the side and she's like, hey, try not to shit talk the people with money who are trying to buy our stuff because the king has raised taxes on our land and we're going to lose our land if, you know, we don't sell enough of our stuff. Also, I was hoping you would save us by marrying a handsome, rich prince, but it looks like that's not going to happen. And Tiana's like, don't worry, I'll find a rich, handsome prince. 
Because, you know, that's definitely one of the traits Tiana is known for. She literally says, a prince will save us. This is the opposite of Tiana's character. She was someone who was mostly defined by, you know, common sense. Not needing a man? Well, common sense and hard work. There's a bit early in the movie where one of her friends is like, come out with us. We're going to party. You can meet some cute boys. And Tiana's like, I don't have time to party. I'm trying to buy my own restaurant. It's the 20s. Yeah. Ugh. Back in Hyperion Heights, Hook and Henry are working on their plan to bring down Victoria Belfry by solving Hook's cold case about that missing girl from 10 years ago. I do like how Ronnie points out. She's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but fine, whatever. She comes in wearing a CBGB shirt, by the way. You reminded me earlier how upset we were to see Regina in Regina mode wearing t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So- Back when she first started dating Robin Hood for like an episode before they realized what a mistake that was. Well, I feel like I was upset at her wearing a t-shirt because it was symbolic of how she was with the wrong guy who was making her change. Yeah, she's a woman who wore very, very fancy boots to dig up a grave. But here's the thing. If she wanted to be a rocker chick who wore cut up CBGB shirts, uh, clearly she could have pulled it off. She looks hot. Oh my God. I think we talked about this a little either last episode or the episode before, but Lana Perea seems to be really settling into Ronnie well. Ronnie does feel like a distinct character from Regina, who still is Regina under very different circumstances. We did talk about that a couple weeks ago, and it is true. And I have to say, she's still a gorgeous woman, and I do kind of miss Regina's awesome outfits, But also, I am so glad that Lana Priya can breathe normally now. I'm just seeing it, and my ribs are relaxing looking at her. Also, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like new Henry is looking more and more like regular Henry. I mean, I think he does look kind of like regular Henry. I thought he did, too. He kind of looked like Jared Gilmore's older brother, but maybe... Which is appropriate. Maybe it's just because they don't have Jared Gilmore in every episode now, where I'm like, okay, he looks more like Jared Gilmore now that I'm not constantly comparing them right next to each other. That makes sense. And I mean, except that he's Henry, so we can all move on from that. Yeah. In the box with all of the case file from this missing girl case, Hook pulls out a journal that was the girl's journal that he reads all of the time to try to figure out where she is. Okay, creepy. He says it's mostly filled with teen angst poetry. I could never keep a journal as a kid. I had a live journal briefly, which I'm sure is gone now, but... (laughs) I I mean, it was basically just proto-Facebook back in the day, though. Sure, sure. I had several journals, and I kept, like, the first five pages and then put them down and never filled them in anymore. Yeah. So, Hug scuttles off because he's not important to this scene anymore, and... Ronnie's like, hey, don't fuck Ivy. Right? Ronnie's like, I thought you were going to hook up with Jacinda. Ivy is not Jacinda. And also, she's Victoria Belfry's daughter. What is wrong with you? And Henry's like, yeah, she's Victoria Belfry's daughter. She has access to information we don't. And, like, spoiler alert, Victoria Belfry's a real shitty mom. Getting her to flip on Victoria is pretty easy. Not to give all credit to my magic dick, but come on. And Regina's like, you can't fucking trust her. And he, he has this line about, he's like, 
you know, you don't have to be all mama bear. And she's like, because uh, I'm secretly your mom. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that sort of thing. Luckily, I find it charming and not irritating thus far. Well, I feel like based on what happens at the end of this episode, that whole thing is about to be exploded. So yeah, which thank God. You know, I feel like it's gone on just the right amount of time. I'm not irritated with how everyone is still asleep to the curse yet, but I probably will be in a couple of weeks if more people don't start waking up. Yeah. Meanwhile, at Mr. Cluck's, Sabine comes in to tell Jacinda about the whole Victoria raising their rent and pushing them out thing. Yeah. Uh, Jacinda is understandably honked off about it, but luckily, luckily Sabine has come up with another one of her pie-in-the-sky, mad-dreamer, get-rich-quick schemes to help them get rich quick. Yeah, Jacinda talks about all her get-rich-quick schemes because that's definitely what Tiana is known for. Oh my god, I'm so irritated at this. Yeah, this is like literally the exact opposite of how Tiana was in the movie. Like, Tiana in the movie was a character who was all about setting reasonable goals and working hard until you've reached those reasonable goals. But instead, this Tiana, Sabine, which, by the way, I don't think this is the worst plan ever, but this Sabine has spent all of their rent money buying an industrial amount of flour, eggs, and... Butter. Butter, so that they can make a bunch of beignets and sell them since, you know, she's so tied to New Orleans. Since her beignets are, like, crazy bonkers good. They're so good that you could eat them an hour later and they still taste good. Yes. Apparently. So... Henry's walking around with the journal. He finds an archway that's been drawn into the journal, but not. But enough with that. Hook has to break up a fight at the police station between a guy with a very significant wrist tattoo and that schlubby dude who's a bad cop. Yes. The schlubby dude tells Hook that they arrested this guy at Pleasure Island. Uh, yeah. It's a local bar slash strip club. Mm-hmm. But Hook notices that his tattoo is one that his missing girl had drawn over and over in her journal. Back at Mr. Cluck's, Jacinda is still not into this plan, especially because Sabine reveals that they are going to cook the beignets in Mr. Cluck's kitchen. Okay, so I'm sure this isn't what they were going for because they are two different names. But the way that they got access to the restaurant in order to fry the beignets for this money-making venture is that Louis out of town for some manager convention thing. Sure, sure. Louis is also the name of the uh, alligator in Princess and the Frog. And I'm like, I don't think they're supposed to be the same character. I thought he might supposed to, I thought he might was supposed to be King Louis from Jungle Book. Which also wouldn't be great. Those are the only two Louis I can think of. Like, I think maybe they just chose, like, they just named the character Louis and didn't think about it. Maybe his name is just Louis. Maybe it means nothing. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Because I'm like... He doesn't seem to have anything in relation with the crocodile, and they spell they spell their names differently. But also, it would be real weird if he was the monkey king from uh, Jungle Book. I mean, I was with you trying to figure out who Louis was, but of course, Louis could be someone completely different. Louis could just be his Hyperion Heights name. Yeah, 
Also, yeah, also that. Because a lot of the time they don't have significant names. Those of you who have already watched the show all the way to the end are yelling at us right now. Possibly because, no, Louis not an important character at all. Why are you focusing on this guy? Possibly. Let's focus on all of the problems with them cooking the beignets in Mr. Cluck's kitchen. Which Jacinda lists out, she's like, well, I need a real job to keep Belfry off my back because I need her off my back if I want to get Lucy back. And also I need money and I could get fired for this. And there are literally so many things that can go wrong with this plan. It is a terrible plan. Also, if they're going to cook the beignets in Mr. Cluck's and sell the beignets out of Mr. Cluck's, I feel like they might get in trouble for just pocketing that money, even though they did buy the ingredients themselves. Yeah. Also, are they not going to be selling the normal Mr. Cluck stuff while that's going on? Well, they're doing it, we'll see later, they're doing it as a pop-up, which restaurants do do. Restaurants do rent out their kitchens as pop-ups here in Portland, I assume in Seattle as well, for things like this. Like, It would be completely rational for Sabine to have called another place, said, can we do a pop-up here? We'll give you whatever percentage of our thing. We'll sell our beignets from out of your cash register so that you can process the money for us. Honestly, really, it would have been great if Sabine had done that instead of trying to do it out of Mr. Clock's. Mm -hmm. Then the problems that happened later in this episode wouldn't have happened. And apparently her beignets are like the best thing ever. So she could have just brought a bag of them to any restaurant in Seattle and been like, taste these. Let me use your kitchen. Except not because she can't leave Hyperion Heights because of the curse and all the restaurants in Hyperion Heights are probably, probably have some sort of weird fealty to Victoria and thus wouldn't help out Sabine. So never mind. Gotta do what you gotta do. Mm. I talked myself all the way around. 360. That's why you need to talk stuff out sometimes. Guess so. <laughs> so back in fairy tale land, Tiana is going to see a soothsayer in the Swamplands. Yep. Yep. So, Tiana is going to see a man. It's Dr. Facilier. Again, a character who is very, very much tied to New Orleans. And also, who in this episode is a voodoo practitioner. And I just, there's so much going on here that is so closely tied to a very specific place. And they're like, fairy tale land. Who even knows what year it is? So Tiana gets maybe three steps into the Swamplands before she's immediately swarmed by poor people who are basically acting like poverty zombies. Yep. They're like, oh, you're a princess. Save us. They call her Princess Tiana. They're like, Princess Tiana, we're your people and we need your help. Well, they're like pawing at her and trying to eat her brains. And she's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm sorry. I, I need, I need, I need a doctor. And Dr. Filsit, and Dr. Facilia is like, I'm a doctor. No offense to this guy. They got a very attractive actor who does a good enough job with it. Yeah, they did. They are keeping up with the once upon a time tradition of making all of the villains hot. The problem is, the one problem is, this guy is going up against the voice of Keith David. I that That is a hard act to follow. It's the same problem that they had when they were doing Hades, trying to go up against James Woods, who was a terrible human, and maybe that's why he played such a good devil. Yeah, he's a terrible person, but he's a good actor. This guy does a good enough job, but, like, 
this character was so sold on the voice, and he just doesn't have the voice. And it's true, he doesn't, but I think he does okay. Also, I just really want to say I liked the special effects in this scene, even though they're very minimal. Yeah, they're really low-key and sort of, I feel like they sort of lean more practical than the show normally does for special effects. Well, he does this thing where he casts the bones out of his, out of a bowl so that he could tell the future, and then he magically flips them back into the bowl, and... That's a really simple trick. They just did it by having him dump them out of the bowl and then playing the film backwards. But it still looks really cool. It's a simple and effective trick. There's a lot more, like, camera work, again, practical effect things going on with uh, going on with Dr. Fazilier, which really works for the character. So he tells her that the only price for... His uh, magic is her smile, which, ugh. Yep, yep, just another guy telling a woman to smile. Which I would super not trust, especially because I would assume that it would be a literal thing and my teeth would disappear the next day or something. Oh, that's creepy. But yes, also, when you go to see magical people and they tell you that you're not going to pay with money, giant red flag. Giant red flag. He tells her that she's going to follow the Red Crow and that will lead her to her prince this very night. The prince who will solve all of her problems. Possibly by killing her. That would solve all of her problems. Yeah. This is, again, there's a lot of very particular phrasing here I feel like Tiana should be looking out for. I feel like Tiana didn't take, I feel like Tiana slept through her having conversations with fairies, genies, and other magical creatures class. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of creatures that'll screw you over five ways from Sunday, Ivy is talking to Victoria back in Belfry Tower. Yes, she's shown up with the herbs that Victoria requested, complaining that she had to talk to an insufferable hipster to get them. Oh, she had to talk to all these people, an insufferable hipster, and everyone who... and someone who smelled like they had come straight from Burning Man. I don't feel like Ivy knows what Burning Man smells like. I'm assuming she was just assuming what Burning Man smells like. All right. But Victoria's like, yes, thank you, Ivy, for doing your fucking job. Okay, all fairness to Victoria? Yeah, Ivy, it's your fucking job. Victoria immediately goes to the elevator to confront Mother Gothel. And we see Ivy run to the security cameras at her desk so that she can watch Victoria go to her secret top tower room. Mm-hmm. So we cut from that to Henry running to tell Ronnie what Ivy told him about how Victoria has a secret tower top room. And, uh, you know, there's probably some weird secret dirt on Victoria Belfry there. Yeah, they're gonna go up to Victoria's top tower room and find out all of her secrets, which I just, I have to say, I feel like he wouldn't need Ivy to give him the information that Victoria's secrets are in her tower. Mm, It does seem pretty self-evident. But... Ronnie's like... You know you can't trust her. Like, I know we had this conversation earlier in the episode, but now it's slightly later in the episode, so we have to reiterate, you know, you can't trust Ivy, why don't you start having sex with Jacinda? There's a beautiful single mom who was super into you, and Henry's like, it's weird that you brought up the fact that she's a single mom here, and Ronnie's like, shh, shut up. It is kind of weird that she mentioned the fact that Jacinda's a single mom 
while trying to sell Henry on her. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a single mom, but it does seem like a weird selling point. I think she brought it up because she knows that Henry is at heart a family man. But it would feel more like he was replacing his dead family. Yeah, yeah, that would be creepy. That's true. I know your family died, but this other family has a U-sized gap in it, so you could replace your dead family. I mean, yeah. Regina isn't the best at knowing how people work, so I guess it's fair that Ronnie doesn't really either. Henry goes to the bathroom and for some reason leaves his phone on the bar top as he does. His unlocked phone. Yeah, okay, so... Henry is in the middle of trying to take down the most powerful woman in the neighborhood, and he doesn't even have a lock on his home screen. So when Ivy texts him and says, meet me in the Belfry lobby right now... Ronnie picks it up. And Ronnie texts back, I'm on my way, and then erases the text so that Henry will never know. Uh, We cut from that to Sabine cooking, and I know it's supposed to be she's having fun, but she has this weird open mouth smile when we first cut to her during this little having fun cooking montage that looks horrifying it's she's mid dance it's fine she's dancing it's a dance montage open mouth smiles make you look like skeletor she is if you want to be horrified by anything be horrified by how much she's over frying those beignets oh yeah they're burned but but i guess she's selling them to seattle hipsters so they don't know the difference like I'm just saying, she is a beautiful, beautiful actress, but if you smile with an open mouth, you look like Skeletor. (laughs) Yeah, beignets, yeah, He-Man. Lucy comes into Mr. Cluck's where the beignets are being sold to a bunch of waiting hipsters, and Lucy tells them about the importance of branding. Yes, apparently Sabine used to tell her stories about how when she was growing up, she was so poor they couldn't afford stars in the night sky, so they just used fireflies instead. Yeah, she was so poor she didn't even have a star to wish on, so she wished on fireflies, which is a really pretty poetic thing to say that falls apart upon the slightest scrutiny, (laughs) but at least it ties it back to the goddamn Disney movie! Yes, so... Lucy brought them a stamp to put on the bags, a firefly stamp, because branding is important. Yes. Is this going to be famous Ray's beignets? Ooh, yeah. Famous Sabine's beignets. Well, I mean, Ray, after the... After the pizza, I know, I know. No, after the firefly from... Oh, I thought you were talking about how original Ray's didn't have their branding down in New York. And that's right. So now there are all these different pizza places that are all original Ray's. It was a reference to that, but I was also looping in the fact that the firefly in... uh, princess and the frog was named ray oh that's interesting it all comes together yeah yeah so all these hipsters are just eating up these beignets which is good that's what they're for and jacinda's like why don't we start selling them at like farmer's markets or something and sabine's like farmer's markets are for old hippies and i was like you would make bank at a farmer's market selling beignets there i know it's weird for sabine to be so down on farmer's markets but what she wants is a food truck which okay fair You would do great with a food truck with these beignets. Yeah, and you know where you could stop? Farmer's markets. I know, right? Back in fairytale land, Tiana realizes that maybe she doesn't need to take Dr. Facilier so literally and goes into a tavern called the Crimson Crow. Mm. Which is also maybe a brothel or or there's just a creepy ass dude here because he's like, 
Oh, I didn't know the royal family was so down in the funds that they would send their daughter here. How much for a night? And then this guy's like, hey, shut up and leave her alone. It's really creepy. It made me really uncomfortable and it went on a really long time. Okay, I do kind of love the prince guy's like Schwarzenegger-esque one-liner. Because uh, the creepy guy's like, since the royal family's so far down on their luck, maybe you'll be half off. And the guy's like, hey, if you keep talking uh, to her like that, then your legs are going to be half off. Some dude, sh- some random dude shows up to save Tiana because that's definitely what Tiana's known for. Always needing to be saved. This guy is very notably not Prince Naveen. He's he's notably not Prince Naveen. I don't remember what his name was. It did, he did it's like not... Robert Marquis or something. Yeah, we're going to call him Prince Robert. Prince sure Robert. Right. Prince Robert, who's very much not Naveen. So he's like, hey, I'm definitely a prince. I'm a nobleman, and uh, you're pretty hot. I, I, I can say that because I rescued you from an even creepier guy, and that's the way this sort of thing works. Yep. I wonder if Prince Naveen is going to show up in this show. It'd be kind of weird for him not to, right? It would be very weird for him not to show up. Up in the tower, Victoria is eating one of these beignets, which, as I said, cannot possibly be tasty because it's overcooked. You can see it. It's burned. You can see it being burned. Also, like, a proper beignet should be so covered in powdered sugar that you just get it all over yourself, and there's barely any powdered sugar on this. So she takes a bite, and she's like, She has one of those visceral reactions to food. Then she makes a phone call. I love this. You you hated this, but I loved this. I hate this. I hate this so much. Oh. Ralph, I have a job for you. You know that place selling beignets? What the fuck? I loved that. This, that's, that's like something out of a college humor video making fun of Once Upon a Time. No, there was literally that post going around Tumblr that they're like, I don't watch Once Upon a Time, but my roommate does. And every time I walk in the room, it's all Friar Tuck from Robin Hood talking to that panther from the Jungle Book. And he's like, don't worry, I've got a friend coming to town. Lightning McQueen honks in the background. I'm like, yeah. I, I, I legitimately love that. It it took me way, way, way out of the moment. Like, are you kidding me? Ralph, I have something I need you to wreck. Are you saying Victoria wants Ralph to wreck her vagina? <laughs> I wasn't, but it's an interesting direction to take that. You took it there. And then she's going to see Felix so he can fix it. Just, you know. Just bang on it till it's fixed? Well, he's the magic hammer. He has the magic hammer. You know how there's These are not the hammer. (laughs) Yes. You know how there's that, like, weird Disney RPG phone game that they're putting out now? Yeah, uh uh-huh. I wonder if you get, like, a bonus thing for having Thor and Fix-It Felix on the same team. That would be pretty weird. Like, a It's Hammer Time bonus? Huh. That's what they would call it. 
Also, just to be pedantic, it's Fix-It Felix Jr. Yes, it is Fix-It Felix Jr. Also, did anybody make any um, bootleg Captain Hammer except it's Fix-It Felix shirts? They had to. That had to be a thing. So there used to be this game I was super into. It was on Facebook and some other mobile platforms. I'm so mad they deleted it. But it was uh, it was an RPG. It was a Marvel RPG called Marvel Avengers Alliance. And one of the fun things is that you would get bonuses like that. Uh-huh. Depending on uh, which characters you put on a team. Like, if you had Scott and uh, Gene on the team, it would be ex-lovers. Uh... Or if you had, like, Cyclops and Havoc, it would be Boys of Summer. Uh, these are all terrible. Why are you telling me all these terrible things? <laughs> it was pretty great. If you had, like any but a lot of them were vaguer like that vaguer than that like uh if you had hercules and thor or um hercules and loki or whoever on a team it would be god squad oh god it was a really fun game and i'm kind of disappointed that you can't play it anywhere anymore i hope this disney move i hope this disney rpg gives you a bonus if you have ariel and hercules on a team together yeah if they're doing the same thing which i'm assuming they are just from the uh I get a lot of banner ads for it, so. Now. You've seen it, right? I Yes, I've seen I've seen ads for it. Now, as much as I hate this, like, a lot, I hate it a lot. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, I feel like this season isn't doing the cool thing that early Once Upon a Time did, where people are multiple people, specifically where Rumpelstiltskin was, like, everyone. Yeah. And I would kind of love it if Victoria was also Callahan. <laughs> Now, she's got the hair for it. She's kind of got a Callahan look going on. Yeah, so anyway, she calls on Ralph to wreck. Mr. Clucks. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So in a holding cell, Hook is interrogating the guy with the wrist tattoo. He's all like, I took this book off of a missing girl. Why do you have that tattoo? And the guy's like... Because I'm a Mariners fan and it's the Seattle Mariners logo. I don't know if that, I don't think that's true, but I don't think it's supposed to be in true in-universe either. I think he's, he's very tattooed. I think the joke is supposed to be that he's referring to a different tattoo on his body. Ah. Uh, so, Hook's like, come on, tell me, tell me what it actually is. And the guy's like, it's a rune. It's a rune for protection. I had a cellmate who was really into voodoo stuff. He told me, like, look, you're in jail, you need every bit of protection you can, I'm going to give you this tattoo for protection. And Hook's like, I don't believe you, I'm leaving. I I love that the person who runs the bar is Mr. Coachman. He's like, Mr. Coachman doesn't think it's worth prosecuting you, so I'm going to let you go. Yeah, yeah. The guy's like, hey, I helped you and you're just going to leave me? And he's like... No, no one's pressing charges, and as you know, on television, if nobody presses charges in a criminal case, we have to let you go, even though that's not the way the law works, so we're letting you go. And, haha, joke's on you, you didn't have to talk to me at all, and you were gonna get let go anyway. Although, Hook leaves him still chained to the table, so... Yeah, but somebody's gonna come in and let him go in a few minutes. Presumably. The guy also tells him, listen, your girl was drawing that a lot, so... She was definitely in a lot of trouble, which I don't think follows. I think that's the logic from somebody who's never looked at a high school girl's notebook, but Mm. okay. Yeah, he's like, she's drawing that rune a lot, and my cellmate told me this is, like, the most powerful protection rune, so whatever evil she was facing, it looks like it had a lot of juice behind it, mystically speaking. 
feels like a stretch. It does feel like a stretch, but I also do kind of like the concept of rune magic being incorporated into Once Upon a Time, even though it's real late at the game. Yeah, no, that's nice. I always like uh, when writing and magic are intertwined like that. Yes, I agree. So back at Mr. Cluck's, all the hipsters are still buying all the beignets because yay. Yeah, uh, she put something on... Oh, God, I don't remember what it is. It's like a jokey. It, it's like their thing with Swift instead of Lyft. Oh, yeah. They they put an ad on, like, Go Grub or whatever. Yeah. And, uh... So... But unfortunately, this business is on fire. Oh, wait, no, it's actually on fire. It's burning up. Yes. Sabine leaves the kitchen to tell Jacinda that their business... She's like, wow, our business is on fire. And then immediately the kitchen bursts into flames. And I mean, I know it's arson, but that kitchen went up fast. It really bothered me because throughout the scene, like when they run in the back, there is very conspicuously a fire alarm on the wall and they have a whole conversation before either one of them throws it. And I'm like, talk later, throw that first. Okay, Jacinda is trying to smother the flames with a towel, mm-hmm. which makes sense because she is trained to work in a kitchen, so she would be trained to handle grease fires, and she probably doesn't want to pull the alarm and have the fire department come out if it's something she can contain. She really obviously can't contain it. It's so much fire. It is a lot of fire. It's like trying to melt a witch by spitting on her. I wonder if Mr. Cluck's insurance will cover this. I'm not certain it will. Mm. So, back in Fairytale Land, Tiana and the prince are talking about how her father was a poor cook in the army, but then during the war, presumably not World War I in this uh, story, yeah, but during the war, Everyone in the army got murdered except him, and then he killed the entire opposing army by himself, so he got this medal. And also got to marry Tiana's mother, who was the queen. That's how he became king. And then he created this kingdom. That's that's the story we're given. I feel like the order of that is weird. Yeah, but the point is just to draw Prince Robert's attention to this medal, which is super important. And yet somehow ended up out in the garage sale she was having earlier today. That is weird. So Robert's like, well, that's an interesting story. I'm out of here. Bye. And Tiana's like spinning around. And she's going, ah, oh, I'm a princess. Ah, oh, handsome man complimented me. Shit, shit, shit. My dad's metal shit. Yeah, she notices that the metal is gone immediately. Like Prince Robert isn't even out the door yet, which is good because Tiana throws like a bronze bull at his head and knocks him out. It's hilarious. She's very effective, which I like. I like that they made her an effective fighter immediately. She didn't have to like grow into that. So uh, she doesn't knock him out. She knocks him to the ground by weighing him over the head with a bull, which she threw. Yeah, she threw a bronze bull at him. Uh, he falls to the ground, she pulls him up and slams against the wall, and she's like, what, 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 what is going on here? And he's like, okay, full, full honesty here, not a prince, I'm just some dude, Dr. Facilier has my, uh, has my lover. He very conspicuously avoids pronouns for the first part of this. But then he does use she pronouns. That threw me, because I'm like, why is he speaking around the pronouns of... 
his lover true love. his true love who got turned into a frog by dr facilier okay so i have to say he doesn't say his true love was turned into a frog by dr facilier he says dr facilier has his true love who is a frog yes yes he does it's just the twist at the end of the episode is cute and all but it really seemed like there was gonna this was gonna go in a gay direction and then it didn't which was disappointing it is disappointing you know what else is disappointing? Tiana has relegated to a side character in her story. Like, it's annoying that Disney made her be a frog for the majority of her movie. But it's also annoying that she doesn't even get to be a character in the frog being turned into a human slash frog story. I mean, she's the main character. She's just, this it, isn't her business. It's like, uh, it's like Supernatural or Law and Order. Has, where, like, the murder is happening off screen and she doesn't care about that, except it's her job to solve it? Well, she's the character who gets brought in to solve the issue. Like, in Supernatural, the boy, the, you know, protagonists aren't the people the ghosts are murdering with mirror lasers or whatever. They're the people who come to town and stop the ghosts from murdering people with mirror lasers. Like, she, she's the main character. She's just the one who comes in to solve someone else's problems. Okay, alright, I guess so. Which I feel like is a trope in and of itself. I mean, like like Hercules. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But I just... It's one of the twelve labors of Tiana. I mean, I get it, but it's her... The princess and the frog is her story. Yeah. She got her story taken away, Max. This is still technically the princess and the frog. Yeah, I guess. She's a princess and she's helping out frogs. Okay. So Tiana's mother comes in, and Tiana fills her in on what just happened, and she also tells her about the the poor people that she ran into before, and she reminds us of another Tiana trait that she's well known for, which is being so self-centered and blind to the plight of the lower classes. Jesus fucking Christ. She actually says, I've been so self-centered and focused, and focused on dresses and hairbrushes. I just... So she's talking to her mom and her mom's like, hey, I, I told you that you needed to find someone like your dad, you know, someone hyper competent who was able to build this kingdom up from nothing instead of telling you to be more like your dad, which I realize now is the better lesson. Like you're your father's daughter. You're capable of doing the things that he was capable of doing. Like I shouldn't have sent you looking to find someone else to do your dirty work for you. Tiana needs to be the hero she wants to see in the world. Yes, which is a good lesson. It's just kind of, it's really weirdly applied here. Yes. Also, it seems like this is a really huge turnabout from literally earlier in the day when she's like, you need to find someone to marry you so we'll be able to keep the castle. Because apparently they're going to lose the castle if they can't raise castle rent. Oh my god, this episode, this show. Alright, so back in Hyperion Heights, Mr. Clux is, like, gone. It has been completely wrecked. Louis is not going to be thrilled when he comes back. No, he is not. And Jacinda is like, oh my god, we are so fired. We are so screwed right now. And also, I hate you because you made this happen by... Burning down the building. Yeah, I know. Anyway, Sabine has saved the cash box. So she's like, here, take the cash box. It's got two months rent. You can pay rent and I'll just be out of your lives forever, I guess. So 
did she recoup the losses and then make two months rent off of the it had to be maybe four hours of business they did no i don't think she recouped the losses because she had emptied out the rent jar so i think that she has two months rent total not two months rent on top of what she took out of the rent jar but still that's quite a nice profit i mean yeah that had to recoup at least most of the losses i mean that had to recoup all of the losses and then a lot of money yes absolutely and they've been working for like four hours so maybe bet on yourself just throwing that out there but Jacinda's like, get out of my life. I'm never going to get my daughter back with you hanging around fucking stiff up, you know, constantly. Yes. So Ivy is putting on lipstick in preparation for Henry to come help her raid her mom's tower. But Ronnie shows up instead and is like, um, you can stop dolling yourself up because Henry is not coming. She's like, I don't know if you're just trying to fuck Henry to get revenge on your mom or to get revenge on Jacinda, but Henry's a nice dude. You need to leave him alone. And Ivy rightly is like, why do you care? You're a bartender from like another part of the neighborhood. Why is this? Why? Why are you getting involved in this? And Richie's like, he's a good kid. And Ivy's like, he's maybe 10 years younger than you. Seriously? 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 But Ivy insists that, no, she wants to destroy her mother. She's very, very serious about this. And she's going to prove this to Ronnie right now. They are going to go up to Victoria's Tower and find out what it is that she is up to. It is pretty great because she's like, my my motivation, Why you want to know why I'm helping? Because I want to destroy my mother. My motivation is vengeance, pure as the driven snow. Now, I don't know if this is a plot hole or a thing that we're supposed to notice, but Victoria uses a thumbprint to get up to this floor. Ivy has a key card. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this is just, uh, I, I don't know if this is something we're supposed to notice or not, but there it is. I mean, I can see there being like a redundancy thing built into it in case. Sure. I'm just saying that given what we learned at the end of this episode, I think maybe it's significant that Victoria is using a different manner to get in and out than Ivy is. Yeah. So, uh, they're poking around this very suspicious, empty, no Mother Gothel to be seen, room? Yeah, sure, it's a room. We'll just, yeah, tower room with, like, an ominous fan. Ominous fan, lockers, servers? Yeah, definitely servers. That's actually probably why there is a fan, like, diegetically. The reason for the fan is probably to keep the servers cool. But they do see the tea. They see that tea has been set for two. And they find... One thing in the lockers. The lockers are all empty except for a single photograph. Yes, a thing that we do not yet see, but definitely definitely gives Ronnie pause. Mm -hmm. So Lucy goes home with Sabine. Yeah, yeah. She's trying to talk Sabine out of leaving because, uh, you know, Jacinda kicked her out. So Sabine is packing up all of her stuff to move out. Yeah, she's going to go sleep on her mother's couch for a while. And Lucy's like, no, stop. This isn't fixing everything. This is running away. You need to confront your problems. You're supposed to be with us to help us beat Victoria. Well, remember, Lucy's trying to get everyone to wake up. So she definitely doesn't want people scattering even more than they already are. You know what this reminds me of in a really weird way? What? Uh, When Tara left uh, Willow, the sort of scenes she has with Dawn after that. 
because Lucy's like, I need you here. And oh, yeah, Don was saying the same thing about Tara and Willow. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And and she has a Tara line where she's like, look, I'm not here in this house physically, but I will always be here for you if you need me. So we cut back to fairy tale land where Tiana is going back to Dr. Facilier. I don't think we actually mentioned this, but yeah, we didn't actually explain why it was that Prince Ro- Commoner Robert, I guess, that Robert was trying to steal the medal, which is because Dr. Facilier wanted it in order to give Robert back his love. Well, he wanted it for some reason, and he's holding his love captive, his frog love captive, until he gets the medal for whatever reason. Yeah, so I guess Tiana is bringing it to him herself. Yeah, Tiana brings it to him herself, and she's like, look, here, take it, get whatever small amount of gold. I just want, you know, that woman you kidnapped. Yeah, I mean, Tiana points out rightly that it only has sentimental value, so what the fuck? Just give me back the prisoner that you have. And Dr. Facilier is, you know, an asshole. So he's like, um, how about if I just keep the metal and the frog? Because that's what evil people do. Because turns out, he has this dumb thing where he's like, this, you, you don't know what you've given up, do you? This metal has power. It transformed your father from a cook into a prince. Imagine what else it could transform into. I don't want to bang this drum too much, but he says it transformed your father from a cook into a prince, and now it transformed you from a sheltered princess to a person willing to make sacrifices. Because when you think Tiana, don't you think sheltered princess? Also, he's being fairly liberal with the word transformed. Yeah. Like, oh my god, you mean people change over time given differing circumstances? (gasps) Magic! Also, it was a symbol of her father's heroism, not the source of it. I mean, what we have here is a real failure to understand the difference between correlation and causality. And he launches into this speech about how he's been stuck between realms, between this side and the other side, and how this ruby's going to give him the power to move between both, and he, he's going to keep he's going to keep the frog, and he's also going to keep Tiana, and ha 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 ha. Yeah. Also, when he pulls the ruby out, it the firefly ruby, by the way, firefly ruby, it does glow, and it's like oh. Someone really should have mentioned to anyone in the family that this was a magical metal at some point, but whatever. Whatever. So Tiana pulls a sword on him and she's like, give me the frog or I'm going to, you know, skewer you. And then Dr. Facilier stabs a, stabs a dart into, into a a voodoo doll he has made of Tiana. And she like bows over in pain and... But still in pain, manages to kick over the table so that the little dart falls out of her doll so that she can, like, grab the frog and pull a sword on Facilier and, like, fuck you, dude. You have magic, but I have a sword. That usually doesn't work in favor of the person who has the sword, but Tiana's just that badass. Yeah. And he's like, whatever. I got the magic gem and that's what I really wanted. Whatever. I don't even want the frog. So he uses the uh, magic ruby to teleport out. He's got kind of a different teleport than we used to see. It's slower and the room shakes and like black smoke slowly encircles him, but it's sort of a different kind of smoke than we normally see. Well, yeah, I think that's because it's a different kind of magic than the teleportation we used to see. Mm -hmm. But Tiana has the frog and 
isn't being voodooed to death anymore, so that's nice. Yay! I would personally have also gone for the doll when I was grabbing the frog, but... I mean, eh, what are you gonna do? Yeah, she only has so many hands, I guess. Yes. Back in Hyperion Heights, Jacinda... Has realized that she needs to stop Sabine from moving out because... She might be practical, but Sabine's a dreamer, and you need to have dreams and practicality if you want to get by in this world, so the two of them need to keep working together. Okay, so it's funny because there's definitely a missing scene here. I mean, not really. I'm sure they didn't shoot it, but it's like, we just assume there was a moment where Jacinda had a revelation, but we don't need to see that again. All we need is Jacinda running up to Sabine on the street. Yeah, there's literally nothing between, I hate you, get out of my house, and wait, that was a bad move, come back, I love you. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And not just come back, I love you, but come back, I love you, I bought you a food truck. Well, a truck. Yeah. Yeah, Jacinda says she bought her a food truck, but it's just a regular truck. It's not a food truck. It doesn't have, like, the window for food service. It'll work out. It's TV. Yeah, I guess so. But she spent the uh, rent money on a food truck because sometimes you just have to go for your dreams. Also, they made a bonkers amount of money. I know. I think this is actually a good plan. And she got the truck cheaply at police auction. Yes. Hook, hook, hooked her up. (laughs) Yes. Back in Fairytale Land, Tiana's like, Hey, Robert Frog Guy, I got your frog for you. Uh, so you can kiss her and then you two can be happy forever after. Because it turns out I like helping people and I need to come up with a way to save my people and actually be a productive member of the ruling class. Tiana says she's going to go to the ball, the ball we saw her at at the beginning of this season, and confront the king and his son and... Also, that maybe after Robert kisses his lady love, the two of them can join her revolution. And I do love that Robert's like, Haha, no. Yeah, Robert's like, okay, slight issue. Um, it's probably easier if I show you. And he pulls out the frog, puts it in Tiana's hands, and then he kisses it. And it's he- a Shrek ending. Yep, Shrek ending. He transforms into a frog. Turns out Dr. Facilier, fr- uh, Dr. Facilier flipped it, turned a frog into a dude to do his dirty work. Yep. Which is like, okay, that's funny and that's cute. And also, like, raises so many questions about, like, the sentience of frogs. Like, are frogs sentient and self-aware? And if so, we should really not eat them. And if not, did this dude just give up his self-awareness to be back with the frog he loved? Oh, yeah. I think he got uplifted when he got turned from a frog into a dude. And he's like... Oh, this is awful. Suddenly I have anxiety. And I'm suddenly aware of my own mortality. This is awful. Well, anyway, the two of them are frogs again and they hop off into the lake. And now we have context for the scene at the ball where Tiana is offered frog's legs and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Hard pass. So back in the real world... Uh, Sabine is dropping off beignets for Hook because he helped her out by getting them a really good deal on the, uh, on the food truck, which he tells her was used to traffic drugs, so they should probably give it a fairly thorough cleaning. Yeah, she has a food truck that used to be a mobile meth lab. Yeah. So... Hook also tells her that the burning down of uh, Mr. Clucks was not her fault. It was 10,000% arson. Yeah, fires don't spread that quickly by accident. And he's like, it was super obviously Victoria. And 
Sabine's like, well, Victoria obviously got someone else to do it for her. And he's like, yeah, I mean, like, obviously Victoria was behind it. That's what I meant. Duh. So we cut from that to uh, the guy with the tattoo calling someone who's like, yeah, just outside the police station. Like, dude, get at least a block away before you make your incriminating phone call. But he makes an incriminating phone call and is like, hey, someone is on to the girl, the missing girl thing. Someone's on the trail. Like, someone's on the trail of the missing girl. Ooh, mysterious. Yeah, so Ivy goes to Victoria's penthouse and she's like, so I did everything you wanted me to do. Are you proud of me, mom? And her mother's all like, oh, I always wanted a daughter who I could depend on. And I guess now I finally have one. Psych, no, I don't. You suck at everything. I hate you. Just either stop sucking or get out of my life. That is basically what she says. And it's just like, Victoria gives her a speech that essentially boils down to the wrong one died. Yeah, she has the speech about how she always, like you said, I always wanted a daughter who could make me proud, who would do all of the things a daughter was supposed to do. And now I finally realize that you're never going to be that girl. She builds it up so much before being like, but it's not you. You suck. You're terrible. Fuck you. Victoria is a terrible mother. Yeah, and Ivy's like, Jesus fucking Christ. So back in Ronnie's bar, Henry comes in and Ronnie's like, okay, I have a confession to make. When you were in the bathroom, you got a text from Ivy and I answered it. And then I went and met up with Ivy to see if she was trustworthy. And I really appreciate that Henry's not like, oh, what a violation of my personal boundaries. And we don't have to go through that whole thing. Instead, he's like, well, is she trustworthy? I do like how he's like, dick move, but fine, let's move on. Because he acknowledges he's like, that was a kind of shitty thing to do, but whatever. Yeah, we don't get too caught up in that, though. And then he does want to know, okay, well, what'd you find out? And Ronnie shows him a picture. She's like, hey, look at this picture of me dressed in, like, super hot mayor clothing with a small boy that I don't recognize. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, she's like, there. she has a picture of me wearing clothes I've never owned in a, in a place I've never been with a kid I've never met before. And he's like, you met that kid before. That's me when I was a kid. Which, by the way, props to the show for not acting like she would recognize a picture of him as a child. I feel like other shows would have had her recognize him. Yeah, I'm really glad they're doing this. Like, it it seems like maybe we're not going to have to deal with, oh, no one can remember all season, which would be great. Yeah, I'm glad that this is getting unraveled at this point. One of the things I think, I know I'm shooting us in the foot by saying this, I think one of the things the season is really doing right is pacing. I mean, don't jinx it. But yeah, so far I'm... It's yeah, but so far it's been okay. Yeah, knock on wood, the pacing has been so good up to this point. Yeah, they both realize, hey, it's really weird that there's a picture of the two of us both in a place we don't recognize with each other. Like something really weird is going on here. But we won't get that unraveled until next week. Hopefully it gets unraveled next week. So we finish up in the tower. Ivy is again up in the tower. And at first she seems all like confused and scared and Mother Gothel just sort of appears from behind her. And she's like, oh my God. And Mother Gothel says, you told me to hide, which is great. Amazing twist. 
revealing reveal. Good job, show. Seriously. Ivy- uh, Ivy's like, yeah, hide from them, not from me, you freak. <laughs> and Mother Grossel's like, do they trust you? And she's like, yeah, everyone trusts me. Our Regina doesn't know anything. Henry doesn't know anything. Victoria doesn't know anything. And we find out that Drusilla is behind everything. And not just behind everything, but awake. She tells Mother Gothel to call her Drizella. It's great. This is such an awesome note to end this episode on. This is a reveal that makes me want to keep watching. I am excited about where this season is going. Yeah, because Mother Gothel's like, oh, my sweet Ivy, everything's going to plan. And she's like, don't call me Ivy. My name is Drizella. Which normally the whole, you know, wahaha, everything's going to plan thing is pat and cliche, but God. So way to, I mean, I did really like this episode, all of this episode. I hate to say it, but I do kind of think the Tiana stuff is the weak part in this episode. Um. Not, not like it's weak, weak, but. The Tiana stuff I didn't like because it felt like they relegated Tiana to the margins of her own story. Mm-hmm. But we know that she becomes a resistance fighter and we, at the end, get to see her do some cool stuff. So I'm hoping we have some more Tiana-centric episodes and we get to see her be a badass. It wasn't bad. It was just it could have been better. Yeah, definitely could have been better. Could have been stronger. But that does bring us to the end of this episode. All right, so recommendations. I know you have one. All right, so I'm pretty sure I've already recommended this before, but it just fits this episode so well. Witches Abroad by Terry Pratchett. Uh, it's great a Discworld novel. Great Discworld novel. And the book literally, this isn't so much a spoiler, but it's about fairy tales, and the book literally ends with a New Orleans take on Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, it does. Good call. And I know we normally do Fashion Corner first, but I have just a little thing for Fashion Corner. Okay. I love Drusilla's going shopping at a yard sale dress. It's kind of maroon with this purple collar. I did like Drusilla's dress. I also really liked Tiana's selling things at a yard sale dress, especially because it had pearl edging, which normally I'm not a fan of, but it just looks so great on her. Yeah, she had a real Pride and Prejudice aesthetic, which I think works a lot for her. Yes, definitely. So next week's episode is called Wake Up Call. Oh. Ooh. Yes, yes. Hopefully this means more people are going to be waking up. Uh, the Netflix description is, An oddly familiar photograph prompts Ronnie to do some digging, which is precisely what Ivy wants. Regina warns Drizella about the dangers of revenge. Man. Which is great. It means the flashback is going to be Regina and Drizella. I'm into it. Yes. All right, so that'll about do it for this week. Yeah, that does it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you can head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode... Head over to our Facebook group. Just search for Welcome to Television and Facebook groups. Uh, we can also be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke.